If you want to turn back in your Bibles to Haggai, we talked last time on a Wednesday night in the Minor Prophet series, and I didn't quite finish with the Minor Prophet Haggai. And as you're turning there, if you remember, we spoke last time about the rubble, the remnant, and the rebuilding that was going on in the days of Haggai. And if you want to see the connected books to Haggai, it's a very good read, and they're all interesting in their own right. Haggai, Zechariah, Ezra, Nehemiah, those are very interesting and connected books in relation to the history that's going on. And if you remember, Haggai and Zechariah, when those guys were writing, this was after or at the conclusion of the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. A lot of what we talked about in the Minor Prophet series led up to that. The Lord said, you better start acting right. Or at some point, the Lord just said, you know, it really doesn't matter if you do act right. I'm still going to send you into captivity. But most of those Minor Prophets were dealing with the warnings and the things that were coming for the destruction of the nation of Israel, Judah. And so here in Haggai and in Zechariah and Ezra and Nehemiah, you have what happened after They went into captivity. And we talked last week again about what a devastated area that it was that they went back into to rebuild. So tonight we want to talk about the right people, the right place, the right work, and the right reasons. So that's what we want to speak about in concluding the comments on the book of Haggai. So you've got the right people under consideration in the days of Haggai. As I mentioned last time, it was about 42,000 Israelites or or Judeans plus another 7,000 and so, and then another 200 singers. I mean, those those guys are accounted for in the books. If you'll read those books I suggested to you. So just under 50,000 people. This remnant of people, they were not the entire nation. There were there were probably a very small number of all of the people that were in Babylon, what, maybe 1,000, 2,000 miles away, living in absolute, uh, just, it was an incredible place to live. Babylon was amazing, domesticated, all types of luxuries, everything you could imagine from the markets to the schools even, the training that you could get there, the lifestyle you could live there. So these 50,000 people were the right people to go back into a completely obliterated place. They were not going into the, they were leaving the lap of luxury and going back into a place to just basically rebuild the, the place, the economy, everything. So this was the right people because if it wasn't just anybody that was going to leave that and go back and, and engage in such an endeavor. They were the right people whose heart and their, was towards God. It was evident because they were leaving. Their devotion was towards God. They were a remnant of the people of Israel. So they were separated also for a special purpose. Remember in the book of Ezra, I'll be kind of flipping back and forth between Ezra and Haggai again this week like we did the last time. But remember in Ezra, the first chapter, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, which is who Isaiah prophesied of, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he might have made a proclamation and said, 
Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. This is a pagan king, right? And he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem. You see, not only was it in the heart of these people to go back, this remnant, not only were they the right people, but a pagan king had issued a law, a decree, stating God has charged me, the pagan king Cyrus, to build him a house. That's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> so who is there among you, among the people that want to go back and do this? So the 50,000, they go back. And of course, you remember what happened. They ran into some political trouble whenever they went back and they stopped building for about 15 years. And that's when Haggai, now listen, I think this is interesting. Haggai was among them all that time. But at some point, 15 years had passed, the Lord had had enough and he burdened the heart of Haggai. You know, why wasn't Haggai preaching all during those 15 years? Well, I, don't, I can't answer that, but Haggai was among them. And then one day he starts preaching. You know, and I think I gave you the example of a guy maybe going to the hardwood, uh, the, uh, the hardware store to get some wood to build on his house. And Haggai's standing in the, in the street saying, why are you going to build your nice house and work on your house whenever the Lord's house is in shambles? You see? So this was the right people. You had to have a burden to go back and represent the Lord in doing this. The king himself, the Cyrus the king, had ordered that this be done. And so it was the right people, and they were in the right place. Notice even Cyrus said, in Jerusalem, in Judah. That's where you're to go and do this. At the Temple Mount, where it used to stand before the days of Nebuchadnezzar, when Nebuchadnezzar, under God's direction, tore it down. Isn't that interesting? You know, God tore down his own house. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? It wasn't, you know, God was not up in heaven going, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're fixing to do this to my house in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. God sent Nebuchadnezzar and tore down God's house under God's direction. <laughs> you say, well, that just doesn't seem fair. It, it, is, it is God's to do with as he pleases. And he never does anything wrong. It was right for God to do that. <laughs> and you know, you say, well, it, some people say, well, it wasn't fair. <laughs> well, you know, do we really want fairness from God? We want mercy from God. And it, you know, it would have been fair for God to obliterate them and never even let them come back. That would have been fair, the way they acted. But in mercy and in kindness, he allows them to go back and build his own house. Now, I think it's very interesting and it ought to be encouraging for us today to think about how, you know, God doesn't have to use anybody to do his work. He can do it himself. But God used Nebuchadnezzar to tear down his house. And then he turns around and uses Cyrus many years later, 70 years later, to build back his house. And the people that were burdened to go and do this and had it in their heart, God used them as instruments of his righteousness and his mercy to build back his house. But they stopped. They quit. Politics distracted them. But they were in the right place. They went to Jerusalem, not Babylon. See, the house was to be built back in Jerusalem. Let me just say, as we go, if you want to know how this relates to you today, you are the right people. You are the chosen people of God. God, in a covenant before the world was formed, wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. And that means you are a special. You say, I don't feel very special. Well, join the club. I don't either. 
And if I look myself in the mirror and I think about the things that I say and do and the way that I act at times, there's nothing special about me. But because God has set his love on you and his mercy and his son has paid for your sins, you are special. If we can get that through our minds, it makes a difference in life. You are the right people to serve God in this generation. You see? You say, well, I'm only, you know, 10 or I'm only seven or I'm only 15 or it doesn't matter. You're the right people that, that the people in those days would have said the same thing. Well, all these politics is going on. I'm only 10. I'm only 15. I'm only 20. You know, I know I'm in charge and I'm Zerubbabel and I'm in charge of, of heading this work up, but there's just so much going on. I guess I'm just not the right person anymore. <laughs> Everybody thinks that way at some point or another in every generation. <laughs> But when God's people latch on to that, they, you are the right people because you are the chosen people of God. I think that was a stunning re revelation for a bunch of fishermen who were called to be apostles in the days of Jesus. Don't, I'm just a fisherman. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just, an, in Matthew's case, I'm just a, an accountant slash publican, you know, tax collector. I'm, a, I'm nothing. And it's beautiful how God uses nothings to do something, you see? And here he's using these people to accomplish his goal, his desire, you see? And when you realize that, when you realize in this life that you are the right people, then that's a beautiful thing to figure out your purpose. It's a beautiful thing. I was looking at a verse of scripture where Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4 and 21, you know, if you read that account, I know several of y'all have probably seen the Chosen series, and that's a, that's a really good depiction there. Kind of stunning depiction of not really, I didn't really have that depiction in my mind, and I'm not saying that's the way that it happened. But I can't hardly watch it without getting teary-eyed. I mean, every time I watch it, I, it just kind of works me up. Because I think it's a pretty good depiction of how that went down. But it's interesting that, the, you know, here's this woman who has had this horrible life. She thought she was nothing, you see? A nobody. And from a natural standpoint... We're all nobodies. But because God had set her love on him, on you and on me and on her, they have that conversation there. And at some point, you know, she tries to divert it away from, you know, him confronting her about her sin. And she says something about worship. You know, well, we're been, we've been told to worship over here in Samaria. And the Jews say, go down there and worship in Jerusalem. And it's interesting. The, the Lord says, woman, believe me. <laughs> That's what he says in John 4 and 21. He says, woman, Believe me, the hour's coming when they that worship the Lord will not go over here. They won't go down to Jerusalem, but they will worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. You are in that time still, you see. That's why you are the right people and you're in the right place in the church of God. If you want to, you say, well, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm in the right place. The way to understand that you are in the right place is to find the place where there is the least amount of distraction away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And out in the religious world today, it's nothing but distraction because everything we do is geared around distraction. I think it's Brother Stephen and I, we were talking about observing people. And you know, one of the funniest things that you can do is observe people while they're watching TV. You know, they just look like a zombie. I'm talking about me. It probably would help me quit watching TV if I put a mirror in front of me while I was watching TV. Because I just sit there for a while, you know, my mouth hangs open and my mind just goes, it just leaves me, you know. Because I, I want to be distracted when I watch TV, you know. 
I want to forget about what I'm thinking about. I got too much on my mind. I just, you know, just veg out watching TV. It's really funny to watch people watching TV. (laughs) Everything is distraction around us. I have intentionally, until this afternoon, not looked at any news from yesterday morning until tonight. Because it's nothing but distraction. Nothing but distraction. We go to the supermarket to go buy you know, groceries, colors, lights everywhere, you know, and then of course you get up to check out and there's a reason why they put all that candy and gum and and little pop drinks and stuff, all that sugar. The concentration of sugar in the grocery store is, is that in those last few feet as you're walking there to check out. And it's to distract the kids, you know. Mama, I want this. It distracts me, especially when I see a Reese's Cup or a Nestle Crunch. I mean, it's distracting. I mean, it's constant distraction. Pull your mind here. Pull your mind there. That, that's, what, that's what the world is trying to do. It's often what Satan is trying to do, okay? If you want to know if you're in the right place, it is the place where is there, there is the least amount of distraction from the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where you can just hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Call upon His name. Hear His name called upon. You see, these people were in the right place. You say, well, where's that place today? It's not over in the Middle East. We are now in the heavenly Jerusalem. We are in the new Jerusalem, which is the New Testament church. You see, Mount Zion was the highest place that you could go in the Old Testament, which is where these people are building in this day, which is where God sent them back to because they were still under the Old Covenant. But today, you don't go over to Mount Zion in the Middle East. Today, you go to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the innumerable company of angels, and the church of the firstborn. That is where you go to the the topmost place in this world that you can go to get the best view, the best possible view of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody distract you from that. They were in the right place. And child of God, you're the right people and you're in the right place to see the Lord. Jesus told the woman at the well, he said, woman, believe me, (laughs) there's coming a a time very soon when you're going to see a new place to worship the Lord. And it's not in Jerusalem and it's not in Samaria. It's going to be the church of the living God. And these people were engaged in the right work. Think about it. Their burden to leave the lush and lavish lifestyle of Babylon to go back into a place that had been completely burnt down, burnt to ash, with no economy, no schools, no marketplace, no anything. Their burden was to go back and rebuild there. It was the right work because God said it was the right work. You see, God said, go back and build. Now, there's no question. Now, you think about this now. There's no question that they needed to provide homes for themselves. They needed to make a living. They needed to farm. They needed to establish schools, shops, commerce, trade. All those things were valid and necessary for this to go on. But the purpose of going back was to rebuild the temple. And God had put that in the heart of Cyrus and he put that in the heart of the people. On arrival in Ezra 2 and 69, when they got there, I want you to notice Ezra 2 is a very long chapter. And towards the end of that chapter in verse 69, it describes to you the dedication that they went, the trouble that they went to, and the money that they spent to celebrate the fact that they were there, to glorify God. It says in Ezra 2 and verse 69, 
They gave after their ability unto the treasure of the work threescore and one thousand drams of gold, five thousand pounds of silver, and one hundred priest garment. There's some commentary that says that would be the equivalent of five million dollars today. You think about it, five million dollars. They came back and this, this 50,000, you say, well, if you spread it out among 50,000, well, you know, I get that. But understand, it was a lot. They could have used that for many other things. But they used it for the dedication whenever they got there. <laughs> and that was a short time before they stopped building for 15 years. You see where they were? They were the right people in the right place. They had the right purpose. And they were doing it for the right reasons. The reason they were doing it was, as I said in conclusion last time, was not to make a name for themselves, but to make a name for God. That makes all the difference right there. There's many men and women out in the religious world today who are trying to make a name for themselves. The purpose of the child of God who is the right people in the right place with, with the right reason is to make a name for God. To call upon the name of the Lord. You may say, well, I, I enjoy hearing you preach, Brother Tim. Enjoy hearing Brother Luke preach. Enjoy hearing whichever preacher. And Brother McNeil, Brother Neil, Brother Chris, Brother Buddy, Brother John. Listen, that's fine. You know, it, it's fine. You don't want to play favorites at all. The Apostle Paul scolds that in 1 Corinthians. But you understand, it's okay to enjoy hearing someone preach. But remember, if the preacher is doing his job and doing what he's supposed to be doing, the purpose of him preaching is not to bring attention to himself, but to bring attention to the Lord. And through the years of praying and trying to improve as a preacher and trying to get better and expressing the things of God, that's been, a, that's been an ongoing prayer of mine. Lord, just let me be able to convey just a little bit better and articulate a little better the things of God, to be able to describe things better for the people of God, not so that someone can say, well, he does that very well. No, so that we can see Christ better. You won't be distracted. Don't be distracted by me. Don't be distracted by the preacher. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the right reasons is not to make a name for ourselves, but to make a name for God. I was thinking when Sister Tracy so graciously took my name. When I married Sister Tracy, she went from Tracy Jennings to Tracy McCool. She took my name. Praise God that there was somebody willing to do that. And not just somebody, but Tracy, you know, who is my true love. And I was thinking about, it takes a humility to take someone else's name. It takes humility to do that. I know that's the custom, that's the culture, that's the way that it's always, always been as far as we have known. But that takes humility to take somebody's name. And then on top of that, to take their name and to represent them and not embarrass them. You think about that. Man, I'm telling you, if there's anybody that's never embarrassed me, that's, that's Sister Tracy who took my name in a, in a much greater way. We have taken, God has given His name to us, you see? How do we portray that name? How do we demonstrate that name? Could anybody look at us and say, well, on a regular day-to-day -day basis, I can see that person is representing someone. I always had it in my heart. Growing up, uh, after I got grown and got away from home, college, and even off in the business world and so forth, I always had it in my heart. I don't want to embarrass the name of my father. 
because I revere him for what he was and who he was. I, that's one of the, should I give into this? There were several times in my life there'd be temptation in front of me and it'd come to my mind. If I succumb to this temptation, I'm going to embarrass the name of my father. So I'll just run from it. And that's my earthly father. You know, the apostle Paul said, you've had fathers of your flesh that have corrected you. And that's wonderful. But there's a greater father that we represent. There's a greater name that we have. You see? So the right reasons for building the kingdom of God, for building in these days, was because they were representing the name of their heavenly father. And they just quit. <laughs> and of course, you know, Haggai comes along and he begins to preach and praise God, they begin to build again. You know, their problem was that their zeal had gotten dampened. You know, I think about that a lot. I remember whenever I was finally figuring out God helped me figure out my purpose in life and it was to preach the gospel and I remember what a zeal I remember one of the old deacons from another church he said brother Tim you know you better you better slow down you're going to burn out and I was like well you know uh, I'd rather burn out than rust out and here I am you know 20 something years later and I appreciate that that brother he was trying to take care of me you know just slow down now brother and I was like you know my zeal was so intense in those days and, and I measure myself by those days I think Lord have I lost that Lord is it dampened is there something that has distracted me from that and we all go those directions and we we get on our highs and we're zealous and the next thing you know we're down in a valley again thank God there's verses in the word of God like Proverbs 16 and 3 that says commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts shall be established we can always go back and do what we've done before if you find yourself in a place like that, I pray to God that a verse like Proverbs 16 and 3 would stick in your mind or the, the wonderful account of Zerubbabel and Haggai and these, these men here who served God. Their spirits had been dampened. Their zeal had gone down. But you know what brought them back? It wasn't a government program. It wasn't a new church program. It wasn't some flashy new thing that's, that's going to excite everybody for a month or two. You know what it was? It was preaching. It was Haggai. God raised up Haggai and some other men to preach and say, is it appropriate that your houses are so nice and the Lord's house is in complete disarray? See, their zeal was dampened by their life pursuits. You know, they got jobs. They got involved in activities. They got all these things going on. I love the, the accounts in the New Testament where Jesus gives the individuals who make excuses, you know. You know, one guy says, listen, I, I can't come to church. I just bought a piece of property. You know, I'm afraid it's going to run away. I, you know, that property's going to run away if I don't go check on it. Well, that's silly, isn't it? You know, and then there's another guy that said, well, look, I'm sorry. I'd, I'd love to come, you know, but uh, I, I just bought a yoke of oxen, you know, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure those yoke of oxen are just going to die if I don't go and try them and prove them, you know, and I've just got to do it at this particular time. And then there's the other guy. And he just says, I'm sorry, I can't come. I got a wife. <laughs> You know, I, don't, I just find that humorous. You know, he, he just said, I'm married. I'm sorry, I can't come. <laughs> you know, we can make all types of excuses to have our zeal dampened. Can we not? It might be a job. It might be somebody says, well, I, I can't get to this. I can't get to that. But isn't it wonderful to know that the Lord can bring us back to ground zero and just start afresh? And it all has to do with zeal. And so when these men heard him preaching, hey, guy, the, the first chapter, you see verse 12, Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, the Joshua the son of Zodazek, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. So when they heard that, 
when, when Haggai said, consider your ways, he says that, I think, four times in these two chapters. Consider your ways. Your priorities are inverted. You've got things backward. And when we invert our priorities, it equals out to idolatry. You see? He said, well, they weren't worshiping idols and they weren't worshiping Baal, but they were worshiping other things. They were not doing what God had sent them there to do. And of course, you know, you read there, we talked about it last week. He says, you look for much and lo, it came to little. Verse nine of chapter one. He says, you know, you go and you, you eat and you're not filled. You drink and you, you're still thirsty. All these, you, there's the leanness that has come to you because you're not focusing on what God wanted you to focus on. Can we not identify with that today in America? where we are wretchedly unsatisfied. <laughs> if we have everything, we want more. <laughs> I mean, we're all that way. <laughs> when somebody like Elder Martin comes around, it kind of brings us back to ground zero, kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Especially when you hear him answer those questions like he did. And he talks about the things they have, the things they don't have. But we, we have so much. <laughs> and we just kind of want more. You know, that's just the way that it is. And, and God said through Haggai, he said, you plant, but you harvest little. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You eat, but you're still hungry. See, don't you know what's going on here? Hey, God had sent that to them, leanness. See, so they, were being, they had success, but they had left behind the purpose. The solution, it was not, as I said, government programs or church programs. It was not, you know, getting prayer back in school. I'd love to see that. Their purpose in life was not to change the nations around them. Their purpose in life was to obey God's command. You understand that is the answer right there. You say, well, I wish we could get prayer back in school. If God's people who, who love the Lord and have the Spirit in their heart would obey God's command, stuff like that would take care of itself. You see? Just obey. See what it says there? He says... I called for a drought upon the land, upon the mountains, upon the corn, upon the new, uh, new wine, and upon the oil, upon that which bringeth the ground bringeth forth. <laughs> he said, I've called for a drought on all these things. And he says, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. Just obey. <laughs> Are you telling me, Brother Tim, that them stopping the mad pursuit of their endeavors... And just going up into the hills and cutting down a tree and bringing some wood back and start work on the house. Is that the answer? That was the answer. <laughs> and for us today, child of God, the answer is the same. It is obey. See, God says, this pleases me. God says, focus on the kingdom. God says, build my temple. Build it up. Focus on the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean you quit your job. It doesn't mean you don't have endeavors. It doesn't mean you don't have activities. It doesn't mean you don't have other things going on. But it means the focus. The sun and the center of your universe is the S-O-N, the Son of God. Everything revolves around that. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. But your, your revolution goes around the Son of God. Isn't that interesting? The word revolution. You want a revolution? The Beatles sang about that. It was a total different mindset for that, though, wasn't it? I'm talking about revolving. I'm talking about a, a revolution that goes around the Son of God. That's exactly what happened in these days. They just went up to, okay, let's go. Let's get 10 or 12 guys together. Let's go up, cut some wood, and let's start working on this house again. That's exactly what Zerubbabel did. They obeyed. I think we all kind of need that King Josiah complex, don't we? 
you know, amazing what happened in the days of King Josiah, many years before this time here. You know, what did he do? He obeyed. He read the Word of God and he obeyed the Word of God. An amazing revolution occurred in their culture, in their nation. Just obey the Word of God. What, and you say, well, what does it say? <laughs> That's a good question, isn't it? If you have to ask what it says, that means you need to get re to reading what it says. See? It was just obedience. It wasn't go start a new program. It wasn't find something flashy. No, it was just obey. So let's do what we came here to do. Now watch this. If you, if you put the time frames together, it appears that from the time that Haggai started preaching until about three or three and a half weeks, that's whenever, that's how long it took. Three or three and a half weeks. He started preaching, and three or three and a half weeks later, it says they rose up and started building. I'll tell you what, I'd like that kind of results. <laughs> I remember when I first started preaching here at Bethlehem, over there at Bethlehem, you know, it was 2002 as a pastor. Been preaching a couple years before that, introducing and as a liberated minister. So I started preaching in 2002, and 2002 passed, and then 2003 passed, and I think it was 2004 or so when I uh, finally had somebody join the church. And it wasn't a baptism. It was about transfer of membership. <laughs> but by the, after two years or so, I was so excited. I didn't care. Let, let 100 people transfer. I just want to see some movement here, you know. <laughs> and then I've gone back and looked, and I've seen, you know, from 2004, 5, 6, 7, on down through there. You can see just how God blessed with growth over. But that's over a number of years. You know, you may think of Zion uh, where I you know, said before, you know, it's like a church in a can. Just, it just popped open, you know, and all of a sudden you got 50 people there. <laughs> uh, that was a little different there. That was a short period of time. And next thing you know, there's 50 people coming there and, and people being baptized and still people coming there and joining and so forth. But three weeks, you, you got, what, about 50,000 people or more in that area? And in three weeks, the preacher starts preaching and the next thing you know, they're building the temple again, even though the politics was not in their favor, even though the surrounding countries were not in their favor. They just, oh, they, they saw that it was more important to obey God than it was to fear men. So don't think for one second, child of God, no matter how bad the political climate is, no matter how bad it may look in the world, no matter how bad uh, and, and wicked men may get, men and women may get, I tell you, if we'll just obey, Amen. you see, only you can obey for you, right? Amen. Now, a father who's over his family can certainly have a great influence on how the, the children obey within the house for sure. God holds that man accountable, that father accountable. He's accountable before the Lord. But in terms of your personal obedience, nobody else can do that for you, only you. Amen. And you may think back to maybe your three-week period. <laughs> or maybe you hadn't had your three-week period yet, or your time. I think back to many points in my life where there were turning points, dividing points, where I would go this way or could go this way. And I think about the grace and mercy of God. I'm not saying I always got it right. But when those times would come, I can look back and I can say, look at this time. And look how good God was to me. And oh, how patient he was with me. And how foolish I was. You see, I tell you, child of God, you're, you're living in that time. You're living in that time now where all it is is to obey God. Build. Now, isn't God good to us? Hebrews, Haggai, the second chapter, he was so good to them. It says, In the seventh month, the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of Haggai 
the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai. You know, a very short period of time had passed and it appears that they're already discouraged again. They began to build and they even got, eventually they got the politics behind them. Uh, Darius, who was a different king, issued a decree. The, the, the lobbyists began to complain to Darius and say, hey, they're down there building again. And Darius looked up in the history of Cyrus and so forth, the previous kings, even back to Nebuchadnezzar, and he issues a decree and says, if you mess with them or try to stop them, we're going to tear down your house <laughs> and use the wood in your house to build their temple that they're building there for Jehovah God. So they got the politics behind them, but they're still discouraged. Isn't that the way we are? <laughs> even whenever it went their way, they were still discouraged. So here's what happens. Here's what happens. And this is where we'll close tonight. He says, speak now to Zerubbabel. Chapter 2, verse 2. The son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Y'all remember I read the last time we talked about how when they laid the foundation of the temple, the older folks were there going, Oh, no, it's not as big as the one we saw 70 years ago. And the young people were going, Yes, this is great. And you could not discern between the, the crying of the older ones and the shouts of joy of the younger ones. So here, Haggai is keying in on that. God knows. You know what that tells me? It, God knows what we're dealing with. God knows what our issues are. You see? And so he tells them, I get it. I get it. You're, you're having issues. You're having trouble with this. He gets us. Verse 3, he says, how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as of it as nothing Aren't there some of you that are saying this house is just nothing compared to the old house? See, God gets us. He knows when we think that way. Don't you, that he said, don't some of you think that this is not as glorious? Yet, verse 4, now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. <laughs> They just needed that little extra push. Well, here it comes. Here comes the push. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. That was a powerful movement of the spirit of Jehovah God in the days of their being set free from Egypt. He says, that same spirit is among you. Fear ye not. Verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. <laughs> you see... Not only does he get us, but he also gives them the encouragement of knowing that something greater is coming. So I want you to think about it. What was it that, that he dealt with them and, and encouraged them with? You know, you'll read in Ezra 7, chapter 7 that Ezra came. Was it Ezra? I mean, that was a great, that was a great boost. But was it Ezra? <laughs> And there were these going, oh, for the good old days. If only we could have it like it used to be. This temple will never be the same. You know, if, if we could only have a reformation, you know, like in the days of the Protestant Reformation. If we could only have a great awakening. Oh, if, if only the good old days would come. Oh, if we could just have a, a red wave. Or if we could just have something that would just, oh, that would just make us feel so much better in regard to the way things are. I tell you, this is how God handles that. And it's the same for you today. You don't need to live in the days of the Protestant Reformation. That's a long time past. You don't need to live in the Great Awakening. You don't need to be looking for politics to answer the questions of life. You need to be looking to the Lord. Amen. So what does he tell them? After just a few weeks, they were already discouraged. And the Lord says, 
I'm going to shake the nations. I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry lands. And I will shake all nations. Look at verse 7. And the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. He's telling them, don't wish for the good old days. You can't go back in time. There may have been days gone by that seemed a lot better than these days. And there may have been days that they wished for whenever they were there in the, in the ruins and the rubble of Jerusalem. And oh, if it could just be like it was back in those days. But those are the days that preceded God destroying Jerusalem, you see? That preceded God destroying Jerusalem. So we don't want to pine away as, oh, if the good old days were just here. No, it's now. The good old days are now. Because you are the right people. And you are in the right place. And you have the right purpose. You see, he says the desire of nations will come. That's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will fill this house with glory. In John 2 and 13, it says the Jews Passover was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money over through the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. You see, the Lord came to this temple and He walked in this temple that they were building. And there was a greater glory in that because the Son of God, God in the flesh, comes and walks in that place. That makes it greater. I've said this before. If it was a shack out in the woods, if it's, you, know, you can have the mansion on the hill and it can be beautiful from the outside, but if Christ is not there, there's nothing to it. If the shack out in the woods is the place where Christ puts His feet down, it becomes holy ground. You see? So He's telling them, you need an extra push. Every little stone that you lay, every little brick that you put in there, well, there weren't bricks, there were stones, but everything that you do in this temple to build it, you are preparing it for the greatest that is going to come and walk in this temple. And His glory will fill this temple. Now when He came, it was nothing like they thought it would be. When you said the glory of the temple, they thought about the cloud, the Lord coming down in a cloud where you couldn't even see. But it was the Son of God coming to this temple. He says, I'll give a greater glory than what you've ever seen. And child of God, you are the right people. And, and it, this is the right place. It's Mount Sion. It's Mount Zion. It's the place where you can see God. And you've got the right work before you. It's there to serve God, to, to obey God and just go forward and doing what God says. And if you're doing it for the right reasons, all that comes together. The right reason to serve God is because He's worthy. See? And this is you. As, as your body is the temple of the Lord in these days. How are we caring for that temple? How are we taking care of it? Are we taking the trash out? Are we making sure that there's a, there's a purity of mind there? We're repenting and turning from things that would distract us from God? You see, that's all within your own heart and your own mind. <laughs> but there's no question that the Lord abides and tarries in the church of God today. They went back to build in Jerusalem. You don't have to go to Jerusalem you just build right here. You build relationships in the kingdom of God. You build 
your knowledge of God's Word. You build your prayer life. You build your fellowship with one another. You build your understanding through the preaching of the Gospel. You see, you don't have to go to the Middle East. Praise God. You don't have to go anywhere. You're just right here. The right people in the right place doing the right work for the right reasons. I thank God for the Word of God that can give us such good instruction. And even though something that happened thousands of years ago, we can look to it and we can say, this is encouraging for us today. And I trust and hope and pray that it is encouraging for you and that we would go about serving the Lord. Because I trust within my heart that the Lord is with you. The Lord is here. And I believe He's still on His throne. And no matter what happens out in the world, we still have the Lord to serve here in His kingdom. And He's coming. That's what they told Him. They said, He's coming. Build this temple in a way that will honor Him because He's coming to His temple. And child of God, you're the temple of the Lord. The church of the Lord is where the Lord abides. And you know what? He's coming. Praise God. Maybe it'll be today. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism, we'll give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.